morning. Good to be with you today. Uh, we also want to pray for the Caratinudos, uh, Alyssa and Frank. Alyssa is in labor now, so uh, I know uh, we're celebrating, but trust me, she is too. She's about a week late, so she's, uh, she's excited, and I know uh, Chris and Jessica are there with them, and uh, it's Chris's birthday today, so I think Alyssa doesn't have to buy him another present ever, right? So uh, speaking as someone, I was born on my grandfather's 50th birthday, so I'm, I'm, I'm a great gift, don't you think? But um, no, we're very excited. Uh, thank you to everyone, as it's already been mentioned, uh, for all the work and support with Walk to Bethlehem. Uh, you know, the, the lives of 57 plus people uh, impacted and changed for all of eternity. And, you know, I know that the, the seed was sowed in 4,800 lives. And we can trust and believe that God's going to deliver a harvest with that. And we're uh, looking forward to that. It's hard to believe that we are 10 days away from Christmas, am I right? And uh, in, uh, just, uh, just under that time, on the 24th, we are going to have a Christmas Eve service. It's going to be very special. Uh, please do come. It's a wonderful time to spend time uh, together and celebrating the birth of Christ uh, with our church family. So please make time uh, to come and join us for that. And then on January 12th, uh, that is going to be our first uh, new series Sunday. And so we're going to be kicking off a new series and a new year uh, with uh, our series is going to be called Revive All. And so next week, we're going to have our new series Sunday cards that you'll be able to take and pass out uh, to your friends. I remember we did Back to Church Sunday. We're just going to keep kind of doing this every time we do a series uh, and very excited about what God is going to do uh, through that. Last week, we went into our second week of our Go Tell It on the Mountain uh, series, and we talked about the time when the angel visited Joseph and confirmed for him what the will of God was, and confirming that, you know, Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And the things that we learned uh, last week about the gospel and the message that we must proclaim is that we understand our purpose and God's will when we refuse uh, to conform to the pattern of the world. And so when we think about this, when the world wants to know what its purpose is, when our friends in the world that are confused or, you know, uh, questioning uh, why they are here or what is, what is God doing, we can tell them, and it's part of the gospel, that when they surrender to him, they will understand that he will reveal his will to them. And it's through that obedience and surrender that God then begins to use us and equip us to accomplish his purpose. And we know that Christ was the Messiah. And he, he, his purpose was clear from the very beginning and he came to save every person in the world from their sins. And this is actually a, a wonderful kind of introduction into our message today, where we're going to talk about how uh, the angels came and proclaimed uh, to the shepherds that they brought good news of great joy that would be for all people, that the story of the gospel is for everyone. Uh, but as we uh, prepare to go in uh, to today's message, let's just give uh, the Lord the time. Let's give him our own hearts and spirits, and let's, uh, let's just invite him in to do a work in our own lives today. Father, we come to you today, and we surrender to you. We take a moment, and we lay down our distractions. We lay down our burdens. We lay down anything in this world that would steal our focus from you. God, right now, we give you permission to reveal to us the things in our hearts and our minds, our spirits that would separate us from you. God, extricate those from our lives. We, we ask that you separate us from them, that you take them away. We lay them at your feet, Lord, so that we are uh, united with you today. Let us, not as, let us not just experience your presence, but be in your presence. Let us be present with you today. Change our lives. God, speak to us through your word. Confront us with the truth. 
Let us understand, God, the action that you want each and every one of us to take as we go out into this world to deliver your good news. We thank you for your son and the transforming power of your spirit. God, And we ask that you are just with us today. Let us hear what you are speaking in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Luke chapter 2, we see this very familiar passage. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news uh, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. Another translation says, the armies of heaven appeared. What a beautiful picture. Armies of heaven appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know, there's a lot here, um, and I do hope that we get done in time for evening service tonight, but we will see. <laughs> Some of you laugh. There's a lot. There's a lot. All right, no, so let me, let, let's start with what the angels are proclaiming. So, you know, they are here, they, they show up on the scene with these shepherds, and they say, we have good news that we are proclaiming. Now, this is different than the good news that you hear, like, hey, there's buy, buy one, get one bacon at the grocery store. That's good news. Or your wife, hint, hint, bakes your favorite Christmas cookies, right? Again, good news. But this is different than the good news that the angels are proclaiming to the shepherds. You see, when you look at this phrase, good news of great joy, it means so much more than just these four words that we distill it down to. The word that that is used there in the original language for good news, when the angel says, I am bringing good news, he's using the word evangelism. In the original language, the word that he is using is evangelism. And it means that he is bringing the complete story of the full gospel of Jesus Christ to these shepherds. Listen to what he says to them. He says, I have good news for you. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah. See, he's giving the full gospel. He says, this baby has been born. He is going to be. He is your Savior. He is the Messiah, that angel is evangelizing. He is sharing the full story of the gospel with the shepherds. And what we have to realize is that this is a responsibility that each of us must fulfill in our own selves. These angels proclaim they are the first evangelists, but Christ also came to declare the good news. In Matthew chapter 11, we see kind of an interesting interaction. John the Baptist had sent his disciples to Christ to ask him if he was the Messiah. It's kind of strange that John the Baptist had to even do this. If you remember in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus was baptized, what happened? The the, the heavens open up, the, the dove comes down and lights on Christ, and God speaks from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But for some reason, John the Baptist wanted some confirmation, and so he sends his disciples to Christ. And Jesus responds to them. He says, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Listen, that good news, it's the same word. It's evangelize. 
Christ is saying that in his purpose, in the role, in the things that he is doing on earth, he is delivering the complete story of the full gospel of himself. And so when he says to John, or to his disciples, go and tell John what you hear, that the gospel is being preached. And so we see these angels, they are delivering this message. Christ delivers this message. And we also see that, you know, he understood that it was his purpose. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus had walked into, uh, he went into a synagogue and he reads from a, a scroll. And it says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. Somebody should underline that in your Bible. Like if you're following along in you version, there, you, you got to note that Christ went to the synagogue. It was his custom. He set time apart. He was completely unified with God, yet he made time to invest in that relationship and study and, and be with the Lord. That's not even in my notes. It's not part of the sermon, but it's just you get that for free today. But walk, you, know, you need to do something with it. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to what? Proclaim the good news. The same word, again, evangelism. And in Christ, he is actually quoting from Isaiah. And there's actually one thing that we can interpret from this is when Isaiah wrote this, it's actually the pre-incarnate Christ speaking through Isaiah. And so imagine this. Jesus is in the synagogue. He stands up to read. Someone hands him the scroll of Isaiah. He goes to this place and he quotes himself. He quotes himself something that he spoke to Isaiah 700 years before this. And now he says to the people, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence because the spirit of the Lord is on me. The spirit of God has anointed me. It has prepared me. It has empowered me to go out and deliver the good news, to evangelize. See, Christ understood his purpose. The angels understood their purpose. The early church understood its purpose. In Acts chapter 4, or excuse me, Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles, they are standing before the Sanhedrin. And the church, the early church just exploded. You know, after Christ, after, after Christ resurrected, there were about 500 people that saw him alive after he resurrected. But then on the upper room, on the day of Pentecost, only 120 people were there. But from that day, so from Acts chapter 2 until Acts chapter 5, the church went from 120 people to over 5,000 people. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. And then in Acts 3 and 4, when uh, Peter and John, when they healed the lame man that was going into the synagogue or into the temple, another 2,000 people are saved. In Acts chapter 5, the, the apostles, they're preaching and teaching, and they get arrested because the Sanhedrin, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're jealous of what's going on. They throw them in prison, and they leave them there overnight. They bring them in in the next morning, and they start to have a conversation. And, and in the middle of all of this, Peter, he stands up, and he begins to excl- explain to them what they are doing. He says, listen, you, you're asking me to stop preaching, because they're saying you have to stop preaching. 
Peter says, is it right for me to listen to man or to obey God? Clearly, he must obey God. And as he's having this discussion, in the middle of this, he says, you're the one that crucified Christ. And then he delivers the entire gospel to them. On trial, in his testimony, he delivers the gospel. At this, they have them flogged, and then they release them. But listen to what it says at the end of Acts 5. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They counted themselves worthy. They were rejoicing for the suffering that they had experienced for Christ. This is day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stopped. They never stopped. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They were beaten. They were warned. The Sanhedrin said, quit preaching in the name of Jesus. Quit going out and sharing this good news. And did they listen? No, because they weren't obedient. They, didn't have, they were recognizing that they should not be obedient to man in this instance. They must be obedient to God. They never stopped preaching and proclaiming the good news. You might say, well, that's a very difficult example to follow, and, and you would be right, but yet we must follow it. But in, in the middle of this interaction, there's something that encourages me, and I believe will encourage you to know that we are empowered to do exactly what they have done. You see, as Peter is uh, standing and giving his testimony, there's a Pharisee named Gamaliel, and he stands. And what's interesting, Gamaliel is a very respected man. And he begins to remind the Sanhedrin. He begins to remind them, listen, this Jesus, he is not the only one who claimed to be a Messiah. There have been others that have, have made this same claim. He, he lists them off. He gives them a couple examples, but he reminds them that none of them are still around. None of their movements, none of what they were trying to do accomplished anything. And then Gamaliel says this. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. You know what that tells me? Listen, the church did not and it will not fail because it is God at work. That when we go out to proclaim the good news, God was with them, so he will be with us. What wise words Gamaliel gave them, and yet they did not listen. This confirms that the words and the power and the message of the gospel are not are not of human origin. They are God at work. The gospel did not fail. It will not fail. And as a church, not just the people here at Kings Avenue Baptist Church, but the global church, the church with the capital C, the children of God, Christians, we must rise up and do what Christ did. We must proclaim the good news. We must do what the early church did. We must proclaim the good news. We must do what the angels did. We must share the complete story of the full gospel of Christ. This is what our role is. And we can know that we will be empowered by the God who is at work among us. 
We must go out and proclaim the good news. And the angel said that this good news brought great joy. And that the fact that it brings great joy, it's more than just an emotion. It's not saying that the gospel is going to make you happy. It's not saying that the gospel is going to fill your heart with gladness. What it is saying is that the gospel gives you reason to rejoice. There is a difference here. Because if it was just an emotional response, emotions are fleeting. And many people don't even trust their emotions. In fact, they might actually distrust an emotional response. And so when the angels say that we have good news that brings great joy, what they are saying is the complete story of the full gospel of Christ is a reason to rejoice. It's an occasion to celebrate. It is something that we can live in, not just respond to. We see this in 1 Peter. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is writing, encouraging the early church. You do not see Christ. You cannot see him, yet you believe. And because you believe, you are filled with a joy that you cannot explain. When he says inexpressible, it's hard to respond and express in that kind of joy. But it's demonstrated in our actions. It's demonstrated that when we are in turmoil, in the midst of, uh, of challenges, in the midst of uh, just a storm, that we can have peace, that we can have not just a facade of happiness, but a deep and internal spiritual happiness and fulfillment, knowing that Christ is with us. And in that place, we receive the end result of our faith, that trust in God, which is the salvation of our souls. And because of that, we can have a glorious and beautiful joy. What stands out to me through all of this is, I get this picture, that one angel is here proclaiming the message, and the other angels, they just couldn't wait anymore. Right? They just come in and interrupt the scene. It says, suddenly or at once, that angel was joined by a multitude of others, by the heavenly host, by the armies of heaven, proclaiming glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to whom God's favor rests. They just erupt with praise and worship. They're worshiping God because the story of his son, the story of his love is being delivered to his people. And they proclaim his glory, glory to God. And peace on earth. When we explore this glory, what we realize is that that glory is, is manifested in the body of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed on the face of Christ. How many of you have ever been in a dark place? But the light of Christ can shine in that place through you. Because it is God's glory demonstrated, manifested, displayed in Jesus. This is more than, more than just... Um, it's more than just an explanation. 
You see, when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he, he tells them to just kind of wait and observe, and, and, and he goes off to pray. And the next thing that they know, like this, this beautiful light just shows up, and, and there, there's, there's Moses and Elijah with Christ. And Peter's like, well, should I, do we need to build like, you know, little, little houses or little huts? To, and, and Jesus said, no. This is the transfiguration. And it's not that Jesus was changed, like his, his being, but his countenance, his face, his physical appearance was changed because it was now demonstrating and showing in, in, in his humanity the glory of God. It was showing, and it says that there was just this light that was coming from him, Matthew 17. It says his appearance changed dramatically in their presence, and his face shone with heavenly glory, clear and bright like the sun, and his clothing became white as light. You see, the purpose of God's glory being manifested in Christ is so that we can acknowledge that he is God's son, that he is the recipient of God's favor. It's an identification This is God saying, you see, my son, he looks like me. He is me. He shares my character. He shares my glory. I am manifested in him. And so when when we read that and we understand that God's glory is manifested in Christ, that's the story of the gospel. That in the darkness, light can shine. And that in that place, we can have and receive that glory through Christ. You know, John, when he wrote his gospel, he took a a different approach than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are the synoptic gospels. And then John, he writes it, I think, just in a little bit more creative way. And the way that he demonstrates and, and, and explains the birth of Christ is this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John does this a lot. He focuses on the uniqueness of Christ. That there was none like him. He was God's one and only, the, 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 the only one like him. And we can rest in that, that knowledge to know that Christ was unique, that there was no one like him, that he came and God's glory was manifested on him and shown through him. It's no wonder that the angels rejoiced. It's no wonder that they, that they just proclaimed God's praises in the midst of delivering the gospel. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Because his glory is shown now here on earth. And they proclaim not just the glory, but God's peace on, on, on those that God's favor rests. And the way that we need to understand peace is that peace is not just the quiet in the storm, peace is an empowering thing that comes from God. And it comes from his spirit. In John chapter 14, uh, Jesus is speaking and he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When you read through in the book of John, I would really recommend reading like John 13 through 17 without stopping. Just don't even ignore verses, ignore chapters, just read. Especially as you look at John 14, 15, and 16, these are the things that Jesus says right as he, I mean, he knows the hour is coming. 
he is headed to the garden. And so he's telling his disciples these most important messages. And he's promising them the Holy Spirit. And so here he tells them, my peace I am giving to you. Some verses later, he breathes on his disciples and he says, you have now received the Holy Spirit. We have to now look back at what Jesus fulfilled from the prophet Isaiah that he spoke through the prophet. What did he say? The spirit of the Lord is upon me so that I can go out because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. So when Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit and he says, my peace I give to you, and then he gives the the disciples the Holy Spirit. The illustration is that he is giving them his peace to empower them so they are not afraid to go out and share the gospel. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Christ is, is empowering his people, empowering his disciples in this illustration. In this context with the prophecy, what we see, since Christ is called the Prince of Peace, and we know that the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity, and Christ says, my peace I give to you, what we recognize is Jesus is literally giving, himself, giving a part of himself to the disciples. He is giving a part of himself. He is our peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by settling, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create, himself, create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached to you who were far away, uh, uh, who were far away in peace to those who were near. For through him we have... We, have, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Paul's writing, and he is reminding the early church that Jew and Gentile mean nothing, mean nothing in God, within the gospel. He is saying that God's peace comes in and, and unites them, but not only uniting them together, but unites us to God because the peace that he brings removes the conflict between man and God. And that peace is for everyone who is brought near by the sacrifice of Christ. This is the message of the gospel that we must proclaim to the people around us. That Jesus came to save. And that that message is for everyone. Something else that I think we can learn from these angels is in the midst of evangelizing, they are worshiping. It's this beautiful confluence of of worship and evangelism. And what I get from that is that we worship God when we tell his story. That when you are sharing the gospel with someone, let's say that you're sitting down with a family member who doesn't know Jesus, or a friend, a coworker, or a stranger. And you begin to tell them about what God has done in your life. When you begin to tell them the the miracles that he has performed, the times where you know that he has provided for you, the times where you know he has healed someone in your family, the times where you were without hope and yet you have hope because of Christ, when you do that, you know what you are doing? You are worshiping God. You're worshiping him through that interaction. Because you are proclaiming his praises. You are declaring the goodness of who he is and what he has done. That is worship. That is worship. That's why Paul tells us we have a lifestyle of worship. We do everything, 
Everything we do must be an offering of worship to God. So when the angels came to the shepherds, they are providing that good news. That, that complete story of the full gospel of Christ. That it brings great joy, that it provides a reason and an occasion to celebrate and rejoice. And they said that that message is for all people. Someone posted this slide from a sermon I did last year on Facebook last week. And I saw it and I was like, you know, it still applies. So I went and found it. Picking and choosing who hears the gospel is hypocrisy. You see, the angels told the shepherds that this is good news that will bring great joy. And it's for all people. So my question for you this morning is, what if the person that shared the gospel with you was picking and choosing? What if they looked at you and said, they're not worthy? What if they looked at you and said, oh, they're too far gone? What if they looked at you and said, oh, they're just going to reject me anyways? What if they looked at you and said, oh, they're too different from me? Or, oh, they make me uncomfortable? Or, I don't know what to say? What if they were picking and choosing and chose not to tell you? Where would you be this morning? Would you be here? Probably not. See, picking and choosing who gets the gospel, it is hypocrisy. Because Christ even said that this is for everyone. When the angels are delivering that first evangelical message, it's for all people. We must understand and recognize this truth. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus had just called Matthew. And this, uh, in Mark chapter 2, his name is written as Levi. He was a tax collector. He was crooked. He took advantage of his people. He lied. He cheated. He was a sinner. Jesus walked up to Matthew, come and follow me. Matthew leaves his tax collector booth, leaves everything there, and goes to follow Christ. And and think about this, this experience for Matthew. Recognizing that God's love was so great that he loved and chose him. that he would choose and want and desire to transform him. So Matthew says, well, I know some other sinners that need this kind of love. I know some other people that need to be transformed just like God is transforming me. And he says, hey, Jesus, I'm going to throw a party at my house. Who do you think was at this party? Other tax collectors, other sinners. And we can assume by sinners, we mean prostitutes, we mean, uh, we mean drunkards, we mean just any, anything that you can think about that would classify as a sinner at Matthew's house. Matthew says, Jesus, come over. And we see this interac- interaction in Matthew 2, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi, it's Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. But there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, 
Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus knew that his purpose was for all people. Jesus knew that his purpose was for the people that needed him most. When he looked at the crowds of people, we see this throughout the Gospels, that it was said that he had compassion on them, that his heart went out to them, that he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. They were lost and they didn't even know it. That, they, that he came to save them. And upon being criticized, he answers, listen, I am here for the people that need salvation. This is why I am here. Listen, church. I believe God is, is bringing us into a time where he is going to do amazing things in our community. He is stirring something in me and I just, the, the way that he has demonstrated his presence among us lately, I just, I know that he is, he's got something that he wants us to do for him in our community. But when that happens, listen, there may be prostitutes in, 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 in the chairs. There may be prostitutes in the altar. There may be sinners. There may be other people, drug addicts or anything else that we might not be comfortable with. But you know what? We gotta get comfortable with it. Because they need the gospel. They need to know that God loves them. They need to know that the, that the, the, the life that they are pursuing is empty, but through Christ, they can be fulfilled and changed. The Bible is so clear that the gospel is for everyone. In Acts chapter 15, it says that, that God does not discriminate. That when, he, when grace is handed out, it's handed out to everyone. It's available to everyone. And Romans 1, it says that the gospel is the power of salvation for everyone that believes. In Acts chapter 1, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, we have to look back to Isaiah and what Jesus said through Isaiah. The Spirit of God is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. Acts chapter 1, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you so that you will be my witnesses. Do you see the parallel? Do you see the parallel? That Christ walked in the power of the Holy Spirit so that he could proclaim the good news. We will walk in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can proclaim the good news. But we live in Brandon. What is our Jerusalem? What is our Judea? What is our Samaria? When I, when I think about this in context, and I've shared this with you before, Jerusalem is our neighborhood. It's our job. It's, it's our family. It's our friends. It's our sphere of influence. These are people that you have relationships with. People that know that you're a Christian. The people that know about your faith. The Holy Spirit. God has given him to us so that we can share the gospel with them. Don't take it for granted that they know about your faith. Share it anytime, every time. What did the early church? They never stopped proclaiming the good news. Never. 
So when we are in our neighborhoods, when you are with your family, when you are with your friends that don't know Christ, take every opportunity that you can. Make opportunity to share the gospel. Judea. To me, that's out of our comfort, out of our comfort zone. It's strangers, people in our community that are in need of Christ. If you were interacting with someone, how comfortable and ready would you be to turn that, to turn that interaction to the gospel? Listen, I know that's intimidating. I know it's, I know it's daunting and I know it can be scary. But what does it say in Acts 1? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He will, he will anoint you. He will empower you. Jesus himself said, do not worry about what to say. But when we are surrendered to him, his spirit will speak through us. Samaria. These are people that we struggle in relationship with. See, the Jews hated Samaritans. They, they worshipped differently. They had different ideas about where you could worship. They, you know, the Jews were, were believing that the Samaritans were diluting their purity. And here Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses to them? You're going to share my truth with these people that you struggle in connection and relationship with? Yes. But we can't, we can't be effective in delivering the gospel if we are defensive. We cannot be effective in delivering the gospel if we are condescending. We cannot be effective in delivering the gospel if we are rude. If we put up barriers. No, when we go out to deliver the gospel especially with the people that we struggle in relationship with, let us be transparent. Let us be vulnerable. Let us be honest. Let us be genuine. Let us be Christ-like to them. And you can't get much clearer to the ends of the earth. That's everywhere. Everywhere. You know, we look at these, this message that the angels delivered to the shepherds. It's clear and one of the things I just I want to walk through to help you understand and, and, and grasp this a little bit more is why the shepherds. I already told you that the message is good news of great joy that would be for all people. To me, when I think about just the fact that the angels went to shepherds instead of the rich or the powerful, the influential, the wealthy, they went to the poor. They went to, these, these were probably outcasts. I mean, they were literally on the outside of the city. That's where they lived. And the angel chooses to go to them. God sends them to the shepherds, not to the rich, not to the ones that might even have credibility within the city. God sends them to the shepherds because he wants everyone to know. It doesn't matter background. It doesn't matter station or position. God says, it's for everyone. But you need to understand that these aren't just any shepherds. It said in Luke 2.8 that they were just in fields nearby. Now Bethlehem, from a geography perspective, is relatively close to Jerusalem. And in Genesis and in the, in the book of Micah, we see this place called Migdal Eder referred to. It's the Tower of the Flock. And what that means is this is the place where shepherds are watching over the lambs that are used on Passover. The lambs that are sacrificed to God, whose, whose blood would be shed to cover the, the sin of the, of the Israelites. 
These shepherds are watching over Passover lambs. And God sends his angels to them to say, listen, the complete, the perfect, the last Passover lamb has been born. This is how you will recognize him. He is a baby. He is wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You see, as soon as they saw Christ, they knew what he was about. Their entire job was about watching these lambs that would one day die so that the sins of the people would be covered by blood. And they see, when they walk into this stable, when they see Jesus in the manger, they see the one that would die. Not so that sins could be covered, but so that sins could be washed away. They knew, they knew how significant this was. And how did they respond? Luke tells us that after they saw Christ, they went out and they told everyone that they saw about him. And they said that all were amazed. We must go out into the world. We cannot see Christ and recognize his purpose and do nothing with it. We must share. We must share. We must share with everyone. We are called to go and tell it on the mountain. And what we are telling them is that Christ's sacrifice and his grace are reasons to rejoice. They provide an occasion, a place to reside in celebration. We tell the world that Christ, that Jesus is the manifestation. He is God's glory displayed on earth and he is our source of eternal and complete peace. We have to acknowledge that when we share this truth that we are worshiping God, that we celebrate him. And we know that we cannot discriminate with the gospel. It is for every single person. Our worship team is going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a song. And I think it's a way in a manger. Is that right? So when we think about this song, I don't want you to, I don't want you to get lost on how familiar this song is. I want you to think about the shepherds. And the first time they laid eyes on Christ. That first time that they look and see Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in that manger. And in that moment, understanding what his purpose is. Understanding that he is the Passover lamb that came to die. So that their sins and everyone else's sins, so that your sins, so that my sins, so that your neighbor's sins, so that your sons, your daughters, your wife, your uncle, your aunt, your grandparents, your children, your grandchildren, everyone's sins can be washed away. Let the truth of who he is motivate you, inspire you, catalyze you to go and share the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I come to you today and I thank you for Jesus. God, I am in awe 
at your power, at your love and your grace. Forgive me for the times that I have failed to worship you by sharing your story. God, here and now I I acknowledge and I, I proclaim that you are worthy, that I glorify you, God. Because your glory is demonstrated in Christ, that that he provides peace. He is our peace. That he is the reason I celebrate. He is the reason I can rejoice. God, we are here. We acknowledge who Christ is. We see his purpose. We understand why he came. God, burden us, break us with the truth of a community and a world that is lost and going to hell. Let us see everyone like you see them. God, do something in us, stir us, God that we will recognize that this message, this gospel, this truth is for every, everyone, God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives, God, and the work that you're going to do in our community and are doing in our community. In Jesus' name, amen.